Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 362. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 228, Diplomacy. And before this episode even got started, we're like, oh, man, considering how the last episode ended, this is going to be interesting. I was a little shocked to hear Cecil introduce himself in the beginning. I was afraid that Dr. Lubell had explained away the entire concept of the radio station at Night Vale, but fortunately, she did not, although Cecil did start with apologizing for accidentally giving her a platform, but it's all fine now. He's gone ahead and doubled up the locks on the station so that she can't get in again. And he's even gotten some fan mail from somebody uh, trying to make him feel better about the whole situation. Yeah, except that the one thing that he didn't like was in the fan mail, they were talking about how they were really unhappy because Dr. LaBelle's voice is not nearly as good as Cecil's. And he's like, oh, that's nice. But also that... She's very, you know, she doesn't really want science to be around anymore because she thinks at the University of what it is, they're all scientists and that we just shouldn't have science at all anymore. And Cecil's like, all right, let's let's put a break on that one. You know, science can be very neat. <laughs> I also did like how um, she started out by saying that she likes listening to the radio show while she's running her blender because she likes mm-hmm. running her blender all the time. She just loves sharp moving knives. She sort of wants to wear her blender as a hat. Takes all kinds. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. But. <laughs> so after Cecil cautions us all to chill out a little bit on the whole anti-science thing, we go straight to the news and that is is that officials believe um, that the remains they found of Dana's doubles were not actually human reigns, according to the coroner. Yeah. So the coroner provided a printed out report, which Cecil read. And then I thought that Cecil was eating something and talking about Me how too. good it was. I went ahead and looked at the transcript. No, he's reading what the coroner was saying as he was writing it. And the coroner was digging through a bag of trash that he got from the sheriff's uh, secret police and found a sandwich and was really, really happy with it. But he apologized for not getting to things very quickly because he's got a new dog that tends to feed his wings in his face while he's trying to sleep, but it eats all the mosquitoes. I'm like, it's a bad isn't it? It's a bat. Yeah. Yes, it is a bat. Yeah, I was confused too. I thought I was like, oh, Cecil got another pet. That's interesting. No, Cecil did not get another pet. That was the coroner. Yeah, but what the coroner reveals is that what they found in the sand waste was not a body. It was a collection of Atari cassettes from the much maligned E.T. video game tie-in, which is an yeah. actual story. That is an actual thing that did happen at one point. Yeah, they dug up a, I don't know, it's just, they, the game did so badly. At one point, they were digging in some desert and they found like a huge load of these video games. Like, they literally buried it out in the desert. That's a true thing. (laughs) So Dr. LaBelle demands a second opinion, and she insists that the coroner wasn't even possibly looking at a body. He was just looking through something that he found in the sheriff's secret police trash, and the coroner issued a response, which was just basically, la, 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 I can't hear you. Yep, 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 yep. Now, Interesting enough, Tamika Flynn has actually placed herself as the diplomat in this situation, which makes sense after the whole thing when she actually worked with the librarians to get better working conditions for them. She's not the head of a militia anymore. She doesn't kill librarians. She actually works with them. So she really wants to find a peaceful solution, but the university of what it is is not making it easy. Yep, she's offered them a bunch of alternatives like 
Pine Cliffs, which is a city entirely made of ghosts. Wouldn't that be more interesting? But nothing that she offers is really interesting to the scientists. They think Nightvale is the most scientifically interesting town anywhere, and they're here to stay. Mm-hmm. And Cecil does make a comment at one point that he doesn't think diplomat Tamika is as effective as militia leader Tamika, but... I mean, I remember with the whole librarian situation, the entire time he really just wanted Tamika to go and beat them up. So he's got his preferences in those situations. Yeah, he might be a stand-in for some of the fans. I think some fans may have also Mm. kind of missed militia leader Tamika. It's fair, yeah. We go to financial news. The invisible corn market has collapsed because, of course, the University of What It Is explained it away. Yep, they said that there's never been anything in the invisible corn. It has just basically been an entire scam and no one really knows what it is that they've been eating. So now there is like a complete lack of invisible corn on the market or perhaps a glut of invisible corn on the market. It's really kind of hard to tell. But John Peters, you know, the farmer, he is actually says he's doing okay. And he was really thinking about branching out into other things like a singing career. And I think he's releasing uh, several albums of total silence, which, you know, That's par for the course for John Peters, I think. I I would expect nothing else. Okay, so the second round of diplomat meetings has failed. Um, She's offered them tax-based incentives, and they laughed at that. I mean, at this point, they've explained away the brownstone spire. That's pretty scary. Yeah, it was like just an interesting rock formation with a Bluetooth speaker attached is how they explained Mm. it. So, yeah, that's... But, I mean, Tamika's continuing to try to find something that will interest them, but they said they've already found something that is so interesting that they would be happy to take it with them to study elsewhere, and that is Josh Creighton, who happens to be a shapeshifter. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I was worried that they were going to get their hands on Josh Creighton, but Tamika is not interested in giving up any of her town. She even went to go warn Josh Creighton's mother, who seems to be lying about where he is. Yep, yep. She said that he was with his father, but, I mean, it was very not convincing. Tamika knew that she was lying. Cecil hopes that Josh is safe, but yeah, I mean, the university of what it is, everything they've explained so far, they said is completely commonplace. You know, like the Brownstone Spire. It's a big rock with a Bluetooth speaker on it. They want something that they can't explain that would take them months, if not years, to explain, and right now they think that's Josh. Oh, yeah. So we jump from that to a PSA from the Night Vale Medical Community who says it's never too early to start thinking about your colon. First thing in the morning? Sure, why not? Ooh, that's gross. You need to learn to love yourself, even the parts of yourself that has to do with the commode. And I think that's very, <laughs> I mean, everyone needs to think about their colon. So I think that is kind of a public service announcement there. It's just in its typical yeah. Nightville fashion. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so tensions are high and people are sort of gathering together to kind of form a Nightville mob of sorts. Um, the University of What It Is has said they're only going to take Josh. They might accept the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home, but oh, good luck finding her. Yeah, or they could possibly take Hiram McDaniels, which I think that's the first time we've heard Hiram mentioned in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Cecil is, 
He's urging caution. He doesn't think that this is who we are. We're not a gang. Are we a gang? Are we like a group of people who gets in costumes and sings together? Are, is that who we are? No. Anyway, so he really doesn't want anybody to... Violence is not the answer. And he says, you know, I want you to stop and think about it. And while you think about it, here's, well... It's not the weather. And we were like, oh, oh no, he, she did destroy the weather. Oh, that sucks. Yes. Cecil yeah. says, here's a song, a song that you can listen to. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work as well, does it? No, not nearly as well. Anyway, the song was a rear view by Not Jupiter. I wrote down electric folk, quiet punk ballad. I wasn't sure what to call it. Yeah, I think I've any of those work, actually. It was rather understated. I thought it was it was nice. So we come back from the song and um, there's a mob has gathered at the trailers of outside of town that belong to the university of what it is. I mean, there's actual like torches involved and uh, people are starting to shout down with science. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, I know where the arc of this story is going to go and I'm not happy about it. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, Dr. Jones is standing behind Dr. LaBelle. He actually looks a little nervous, but Dr. LaBelle is face-to-face with Sheriff Sam. They're not budging an inch until there's a surprise arrival. Tamika arrives with Dana, and they have brought a body with them. And she says, Mm -hmm. this is the doppelganger of Dana, or it's Dana and the doppelganger is who was actually mayor of the town for a little while. But she offers this to Dr. LaBelle and says, you can take this, and this is proof of doppelgangers existing, and you can study this, but in return, you have to leave. And Dana says that if they examine the remains and it turns out to be the doppelganger that she killed, she will accept whatever justice they want to mete out. A lot of the crowd is actually pretty impressed because a lot of the people in the crowd killed their own doubles as well, and they're not sure they would offer themselves like this to save the town. No. So um, they roll the cadaver up to Dr. LaBelle. Everybody starts to wander away. Tamika reaches out to shake Dr. LaBelle's hand, and Dr. LaBelle shakes her hand and then pulls her close and says, if this isn't a doppelganger, we will never leave. And she threatens with explaining Everything. I mean, anything about Nightvale that makes Nightvale the town it is, and she will reduce everything down to a beige, normal town with a bunch of normal people. Oh, God. Yeah, she specifically lists librarians, angels, dog parks. She's going to explain <laughs> everything. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but Tamika smiles back at her and says she suspected that Dr. LaBelle might go back on her word. She says if they don't leave, Tamika is going to have a bill drafted that makes the practice of science in Night Vale a felony. And so, yep, that's where this arc is going. That's where that's going. And the Cecil once again urges everybody to not take really extreme actions because science is neat. Uh, But he says, you know, stay tuned for the sound of throwing out the bathwater, along with a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. Seems like a lot of reflections of modern day politics and stuff going on. I think so, So. yeah. And there's some interesting callbacks, because I think, I remember being worried at one point that Carlos would have to go back to the university of what it is at some point and leave his life in Nightville. And now I'm starting to wonder if that's just going to be mandatory, if they just decide they're going to throw out the university of what it is, but just to be safe, let's also ban science, which feels like we're bringing it all the way back to the beginning of the podcast when things like writing was also illegal. Yeah, yeah. You know what would be an interesting storyline? 
I mean, automatically I think, oh no, Carlos will have to leave and he and Cecil can't be together. I'm like, what if Cecil left with Carlos? Like Cecil in the quote unquote real world. How would that work? I don't know. Would Cecil kind of like bring all the weirdness from Nightville along with him just by like, like an infection? I don't know. Seeing Cecil react to how things are on our side of the Night Vale divide would be really interesting. Yes. You know? It's just the things that he wears alone would cause a lot of looks when he goes to the grocery store. Yeah. Well, I was I was a little relieved when Lubell was listing all of the stuff that she was threatening to explain, and she didn't include Cecil and Carlos's relationship. So I was, I was afraid they were going to go yeah. there at some point. And that might be a little bit too... Eh, that might be a bit too dark for the show. Yeah. A bit too close to the real world, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Things seem to be getting crazy everywhere. Yep, 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 yep. But that was it. That's the end of the Night Vale episode for the week. And the usual reminder to visit their Patreon. I just got a note today. They've actually started a free level on the Patreon. I got that notice, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's a way to just encourage people. It's like, there's a lot going on in the Patreon. Join it for free. Maybe you'll want to pay a couple extra bucks to join one of the other tiers. You never know. But it's also to make sure the community stays really strong. Yeah, and to make sure that everybody's caught up on announcements about upcoming episodes or upcoming shows and things like that. So, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Also, might be a... (laughs) They do a lot of announcements over Twitter. I don't know. I mean, is Twitter... Always going to be here? We don't know what it is. We, we don't really know don't know. Not, no. No, no idea. <laughs> we don't know anything because that's the way the world seems to be running nowadays. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I watched almost nothing new this week. I did finish up first season of Detectorists, which I don't want to oversell that one. I don't want to say it's like, oh my God, you have to watch it. If you want something pleasant and British with very low stakes, I think that's a really good one to watch. You know, it's like you've got the Great British Baking Show on one side and then you've got the Tetris on the other. So you've got your like reality stuff and then you've got your fiction and it is not going to hurt anybody. So that's what it's good for. Yeah, I like the explanation that you gave uh, when we were talking about this yesterday because I had this idea, of course, that it was detectives. I didn't realize that this is all about a bunch of people in a small town who have a hobby with taking metal detectors out and finding things. And I just, I perk up, ooh, that's right in my wheelhouse. I swear I want to be one of the, I actually would love to do that. I think it's great. And they are actually, like at the moment, they are searching for some specific historical remains, you know, Um, but I'm sure if they found like a 10 pound coin, do they have 10 pound coins? I don't know if they do. They wouldn't pass up money either. But yeah, it's just... I mean, I just love the idea of just going out into like a formerly busy area and just taking my little metal detector and finding stuff. <laughs> well, I watched another episode of season three of the Umbrella Academy. So Ooh. things seem to be rocketing along. Let's see. Okay, so uh, the Sparrows think that the Umbrella Academy kidnapped Marcos, even though Marcos was killed by something in the basement that they apparently don't know about and which keeps sending out these pulses that eat things, like an entire field of cattle at one point. Um, so they kidnap Luther and give him breakfast, which he seemed to be rather happy with, and then they deliver a lot of threats and then he leaves. But not before he and the Sparrows number five seem to have fallen in love with each other. She's the one that uh, does the levitating as her magic yes. power. So, yeah, yes. that, that was adorable. Very um, cute. Yeah. Diego has a son now, which happened at the end of the first episode. Lila 
saunters into his life with a 12-year-old kid and says, it's Diego's, and she's been raising him for 12 years, and now it's his turn, and she leaves. And she's actually stolen the Sparrow's time-traveling suitcase because hers inexplicably stopped working. So, yeah, there's that going on. But she's still got her power where she can, like, just basically use the power of whatever person that she happens to be looking at who also has power. So, yeah, Yeah. that's an an interesting trick. Um, Allison, of course, is heartbroken. And that happened faster than I thought it was going to. She goes... She flies to her hometown and goes up to her house to wish her daughter good night. And it's not her daughter, and her husband's there, but he's married to somebody else. So yeah, yeah. she that her whole marriage didn't happen, so her daughter didn't happen. So she's upset. Um, Vanya is also a little traumatized because she looked up the history and found out that her girlfriend died in the eighties under yeah. assumed name having to be on the run for her entire life because of her suspected involvement with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Great. Um, Great. So Vanya decides to become the person that she's always been and becomes Victor. And I love how her siblings are all so accepting about it. I mean... It's great. Allison tells her at one point, thank you for trusting me with this. But, you know, Diego and Five and Klaus are all like, oh, good for you. And then that's where it's left at. There's no that's more that it. needs to be said. She is now Victor. So, yeah, that is that is it's wonderful. Really, It's lovely. It was a really... It's, and it happened very quickly. There's not a lot of, like, this is going to be the arc of the show. Nope, that's the decision that he made and now he's Victor and now we move forward. And I'm like, as it should be. As it should be, yes. So obviously Victor wants to get back to his girlfriend or to before she dies, I guess. It's time travel is weird. And Allison wants to solve the fact that her daughter doesn't exist, so they need the suitcase. So they wait to meet up with Marcos. But of course Marcos is dead. So yeah. and Allison is I think she's got trauma now, PTSD, because she's hallucinating that awful cafe owner that burned her with coffee during their sit-in. And she's having to deal with the fact that she left her husband in the past so she could be with her daughter, and now she doesn't have either of them. So that's that's kind of traumatizing. Um, Now, Klaus and Five. Klaus convinces Five to go on a road trip with him, and Five is surprisingly cool with that because he's retired and he wants to do something that isn't fighting. But of course, Klaus has an ulterior motive. He's looking for his birth mother because he actually stumbled across that information years ago and of course never told any of his siblings. But of course not. He wants to find out why his mother sold him when he was born. But I did, I mean, you know, Five is obviously not happy about being used for this, but he still wants to do the road trip stuff. I love that whole thing where he sees a road sign and says, giant ball of twine, turn here, turn here. And there's this panic thing where Klaus is like, what are you doing? We're going to die. So just, but, but for no reason, Five just wanted to see the giant ball of twine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. His whole entire life. I mean, he's just a kid and he gets sucked into a post-apocalyptic world. He's there all by himself with Dolores the mannequin for a while. And and then he's working for the agency for a while, and then he's back trying to solve two different apocalypses. And yeah, I would retire as well and want to go see a giant ball of twine. Yep. But what Klaus finds, his mother died years ago. He goes, it's an Amish community, and he manages to talk to one woman who gives him that information before he's chased off, I think, by her husband, something like I that. Think so. I think. But, but he's still like sneaking around trying to talk to her, and she's obviously freaked out because she doesn't know him, and she's obviously been told she can't talk to him, but 
she tells him her sister died of a brain aneurysm on the day that he was supposedly born back in the original time setup. So, yeah, and he gets chased off by the Amish, and I don't know if they're mad that he's still around or if they somehow think he was the one that destroyed their entire field of cattle, something like that. But, of course, it's him running back to the car, shouting for Five to start the engine, even though Five is like... He sensed one of those energy pulses that destroyed the cows, so now he's doing lots of mathematical calculations. But before Klaus could get in the car, his mother's sister comes charging up and shoves a you know book into his hands and says, this was my sister's, and it also has information about how she died. You have her eyes, and then she runs for it, which I thought was really sweet. Mm. I mean, you could tell that she was really like, yeah. she's scared, but she obviously still wants to do something for her sister, even though her sister's been gone for so long. So, so yeah, what Five has found oh, yeah. from this whole book and looking through all this news clippings that Klaus's mother's sister put together... All of their parents died the day that they were supposedly born. Then now we have the grandfather paradox. And I did watch the beginning of episode three, and it did the whole, like, it was a theater production, apparently, explaining the grandfather paradox and why the time agency is there to keep these sort of things from happening. And that was very cute. I love how they did that one. Yeah, there's a lot of world building that goes on in this show. They really take the time to set everything up. But, man, it is... Yeah, time travel. Once again, let's not stand around making diagrams with straws, but, you know, it's going to get more complicated from here. I'm sure, yes, because we've still got stuff in the first season that hasn't been addressed yet by the beginning of the third season. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. I did want to make a quick mention about Midnight Local. That's the podcast that Greg from How to Drink is doing. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. It is so much fun. But nice. he has he has talked on his show a lot about AI and mid-journey and things like that. And the episode they did this week is for RoboCop. And he goes off on a tangent about cyberpunk, which is kind of what some of the questions is being asked by this movie and this whole idea about human consciousness and like the person who invented the concept of cyberpunk was studying computer programs that have been set up to act very much like AI and Midjourney is doing and wanting to know, okay, well, so you're seeing these things that are reacting like a human consciousness does humanity's consciousness actually exist? And he kind of thought it didn't. It's all reacting to stimuli and what we think we are thinking and planning and pondering and whatever is just us reacting after the fact, after things have already been put in motion. Our brain, you know, we already react to things and our brain says, oh yes, I meant to do that. So it's really, it's fascinating. And I think that's why he's not as freaked out about the whole concept of AI, because he really does buy into the concept that AI does things the exact same way that human brains do. That what we think of as inspiration and creativity is the fact that our brains have absorbed all of this stuff, but we kind of forget that it's there until we're trying to think of something to do. And then that information kind of gets filtered in as a new idea, even though there's nothing new under the sun. So yeah, I, I highly recommend this podcast because my goodness, do they go on some tangents? Oh yeah. And from what I've seen, yes, they do. <laughs> I, somebody else was talking about it and they had two things that they had to say about that when it comes to like 
AI and writing things, and they're like, look, it is never, and as far as they're concerned, it will never happen that an AI will be able to write an entire movie or an entire TV show. It doesn't work that way. And they said that what people need to remember is a lot of people have been floating around this thing where it's like, oh, AI is like 95% of the way there towards being able to write an entire show. Just because something is 95% of the way, that doesn't mean that last 5% is ever going to happen. You know, it's not like they're so close. I mean, that's as, that's probably as close as they're going to get. You're always going to have to have human involvement. The thing we have to watch out for is directors buying into this idea that AI can write everything and them getting a bunch of AI-generated crap and giving it to a writer and then telling the writer they're going to pay him less because they're just quote-unquote editing. And that's what we need to watch out for. Is right. That while AI can't replace a person, there are going to be people who think that it can and they're going to try and pay real people accordingly. You know, it's like, oh, well, this already did all the work. You're just going to have to tweak it a little bit. It's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That's not it. But. Well, I'm I'm seeing a post from teachers who are sharing screen caps of papers that were, quote, written by a student except somewhere in the whole essay that's been written, there will be a statement as an AI program. And it's like, yes. so people are asking AI to write something, but they're not even reading what the AI wrote before they hand it in. And that yep. is that is a level of stupidity. I'm like, how can we weed these folks out of the job market? Because that's terrifying. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. But you know, there are tools to check for plagiarism nowadays, and they work pretty well. And they're already coming up with ways to check and see if something's been written by an AI. There's stuff embedded in images to say the image was generated by an AI. Um, I just got access to Adobe Firefly the other day. Oh, so no I'm kidding. trying that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Midjourney seems to be a little bit further along because I was trying to see if I could like oh let's see what kind of like thumbnails it could design for like a graphic design project not anywhere near what Midjourney could do though if you were just asking it to make images it did a pretty good job however from what I hear all of Adobe Firefly stuff is ethically sourced I guess it's all from images that they have like the license to I suppose so um, yeah it remains to be seen but yeah just the whole idea of for everything, I hope that for everything that could possibly have people like try and sneak around and do something stupid, there are going to be tools to make sure we find out that people are doing something stupid. I don't know. I just remember like right before we went to college, I think we were touring our college before orientation and there was somebody who gave a demo with a synthesizer with a keyboard and showing all the things it could do and how it could, you know, uh, synthesize human voices singing in a choir or a whole violin orchestra or things like that and the idea that this could possibly replace instruments, musical instruments and singing. Well, it hasn't because I don't think you're right about that 95% of the way there. There's still the uncanny valley that people can sense when something has been synthesized as opposed to something that's actually been created by a real physical instrument or a real human voice. So yeah, Yeah. I think people have been ringing the death knell of creativity for a long time and I don't think we're there. No, I think I think we need to be careful. I've been hearing about like some random, I don't know, PR company sent us a, an email to try and get onto the Pixelated Geek site. And it was all about warning senior citizens about someone calling them and like a voice thing, like duplicating the sound of their children needing help and everything. I'm like, oh my God, oh let's just God. not go too crazy with this stuff, okay? Let's just not, let's not panic before we need to panic. Yeah, there yeah. is some interesting things that AI can do that isn't necessarily about creativity. It's about 
what I feel like AI should be used for is making people's lives easier. And my company has actually signed up to have a version of ChatGPT because, of course, you couldn't actually put stuff from our emails or things like that or, or you know documents or whatever into ChatGPT because then it becomes available to everybody. And I work in yeah. clinical trials, and you don't want to do that. But nope. if they can have their own type of chat GPT that's just for the company, one of the things they've suggested it can do is you can take an entire string of emails and load that into the program and it will summarize it for you. And I think that would be interesting. Rather than having to page, 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 trying to find all of the highlights of this discussion, you can have something summarize it for you. I think that would be kind of cool. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, everybody's been talking about the fact that in a perfect world, we would use AI to do kind of the tedious stuff that nobody wants to do so it will free us up so that we can do the stuff that we want to do but instead it's being used to like do art it's like oh we'll make art fast and easy and then we'll just have to do all the grunt work on our own like (laughs) Like, oh my god we've gotten it backwards totally but you know hey as long as we're trying it out i made another mid-journey attempt with some fan art and this time i went straight for some laura olympus fan art oh no kidding i was i was specific i wanted to just have a picture of artemis and hermes I didn't want a romantic thing. I just wanted to see what it would do if I had just had the two of them together. And so I was saying, you know, I want Laura Olympus fan art. I want it to be colorful. I want it to be dreamlike. Um, I want it needs to be Artemis and Hermes. And it spat out a very beautiful few pictures that had nothing to do with Laura Olympus whatsoever. It oh, was really? like two characters. Yeah. And I suspect I know what it is. I tried again. And this time I actually did put like, I would like art that is based on Rachel Smythe's Lore Olympus webcomic. It needs to have Artemis, who has purple skin, and Hermes, who has red skin. You know, colorful, dreamlike. Once again, spat out nothing that has anything to do with Lore Olympus. I think what it's going for is Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Ah, okay. Good money on that. Yeah, so I need to find... I think... I kind of think Leland read that series. I only read like the first book. So I'll run it past him and see if that looks kind of like what he thinks are supposed to look like. So it was not, I mean, the images are very pretty, but unmistakably not what I was asking for. So it ain't perfect. No, well, I guess maybe that's a little bit reassuring how yes. hard it is for Midjourney to do something specific to another like pre-existing character, I guess. So it's it's yeah. maybe it, it had an easier time with the Umbrella Academy because those are humans, like actual filmed humans, whereas Laura Olympus only exists as drawings. Could be. Oddly enough, I had this this idea because I, I hesitated to put Rachel Smythe's name in there because that's kind of what I don't want to do. I don't want to lift somebody's art style. That's kind of the problem. But it was really puzzling how it did not give me anything like what I asked for. So that's why I tried it. And it made me wonder, I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if there was something that she had already signed up for that prevents people from doing something like that? Like, I'd have had a better luck if I said, I need to have a purple-skinned woman and a red-skinned man, and they're both wearing Greek mythology-type clothes. I probably would have gotten closer if I had put that in there, rather than saying Laura Olympus. Well, I just remember, I mean, the fanfiction.net, they have a specific agreement with um, Anne McCaffrey's uh, estate and with George mm-hmm. R. R. Martin. They will not have any fan art posted on that website from those properties, because the authors yeah. ask them not to. And that's yeah. It's always possible. You don't want to go after the individual creator you want to go to the companies that are responsible for hosting the stuff. Yeah. And I mean, 
I mean, it's irritating, but at the same time, like, I don't know why Anne McCaffrey said she didn't want it. I mean, like, who cares? George R. R. Martin, I guess he's he's pretty prickly, but he also said that that's no way to become a good writer, that you can't become a good writer by playing in somebody else's sandbox. You have to make your own sandbox, which I have to admit, with all, the, like, the reboots coming out in Hollywood right now, I'm just like, yeah, I would like some new sandboxes, please. That'd be great. But um, I don't know. It still just seemed kind of like, oh, it's people who love your stuff and want to make their own. That's They're not getting money from it. No, they really aren't. And I don't know, With <laughs> in this day and age, you kind of have to be able to play in somebody else's sandbox. Do you want to write for comic books? Do you want to write for TV? Do you want to write for movie properties? It's all stuff that's based on stuff that's already been created. And yeah, you can create your own movies, your own TV show, your own comic book that has nothing to do with DC or Marvel, but you're going to have a hard time getting the exposure you need with that stuff if you haven't already been like made a name for yourself writing for pre-existing stuff. We seem to be going round and round about this whole idea. We really are, yeah. Uh, it's just, I don't know. And it's also, I mean, people have asked about this with the Comic-Con art show, which is coming up again. There's a lot of people who sell prints or paintings or whatever of pre-existing characters. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of them. And the question is always asked, is it okay for them to make these characters that they don't have the license to and actually sell them at an art show? And the organizer, he always says, it is not a problem until it's a problem. And if oh. the IP... Yeah, if the IP owners come by and they see something they don't like, they don't exactly yank the stuff down, but they do slap a big old not for sale sign on it. So really, that's where those, yeah, it's apparently happened in the past. I guess I don't think it happens very often because it is Comic Con; it's a celebration of all that kind of stuff. But yeah, if if the IP owner came by and didn't like it, they could say, "Nope, you can't do that." So who knows? Very strange. Well, I mean, it's going to be uh, interesting times, I think. I'm glad that you're embracing the new software because I don't think there's anything to be gained by pretending it's going to go away. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful about it, trying to be respectful. You know, I don't I don't want it's I feel like a lot of people are going to lose jobs. So I, I don't want to be very blasé about it. But yeah, I could be one of those people who could lose my job. So I've got quite a few years before I can retire. I better figure out how to use this stuff. <laughs> yes. But I guess that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out Pixelated Geek for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries, or fan art galleries. I don't know. I thought about doing like a mid-journey fan art thing, but after the conversation we just had, that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) Um, As for photo galleries, you know, we're getting closer to San Diego Comic-Con. It's looking like this year at Comic-Con, it will be me and Alex Stehekashan and Lauren Wilson and Ariana Hester will all be taking photos. Oh, of this that is going to be so cool. Yeah, so always happy to get another four passes. Woo. But all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So next week, Laura Olympus. Laura Olympus. Oh my goodness, I've been looking at some of the preview images and... Oh, I think it's going to be like three episodes from now that we're going to get something, not one of the big things we've been waiting for, but something that I'm looking forward to. I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be weeks away. Oh God. Eventually, but anyway, at least we're going to need to figure out the whole Dionysus thing. I'm like, are they really going to be babysitting through their honeymoon? Really? Really? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later.
Vanya makes a decision to become who she really is and becomes Vincent. And I love how... Sorry, Victor. Sorry, I'll try that again. So I had a tangent and I, it's, it's there. I'll get it. Cat, do you mind?